And we're going to talk this morning about how in Christ we are free to pursue spiritual growth. And I'll explain that as we go this morning. See, there is a temptation uh, in the Christian life to think that somehow after you become a Christian, you graduate from the school of grace and the school of the gospel and you go to the next school, which is the school of law. Right, And that it becomes all about kind of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and, and you just doing your best and, and, and just pursuing holiness, if you will, all in your own strength. We wouldn't necessarily verbalize it that way, but we, many times we pursue it that way. Uh, that's a temptation we all have to battle. And we have to remember that when the Bible talks about salvation, uh, we talk about this often here, it talks about it in three tenses. And it's important to remember that because you always need to look. When you see in the New Testament when it talks about salvation, what tense is it in? What's it talking about? Because the Bible speaks of salvation as a past reality for the believer. That's what we call, that's the theological term justification. Talked about that a little bit last week. We'll see it again this week. That's the idea that in Christ, once you believe in Christ, God treats you like you have the righteousness of Christ because God has treated Jesus like he had all your sin on the cross. And so Jesus takes your condemnation, you take his righteousness, the great exchange that took place so that God can look at you and not just say, I forgive you, but I view you like I view my son as perfectly righteous. And so that's, that, that's conversion. That's salvation like we generally think about it. That born again moment. I'm a believer. I've crossed the line of faith. Then the Bible speaks about salvation in the present tense, that we are being saved. That's the idea of being freed from sin's power. Been freed from its penalty, right? Hell, God's wrath, judgment. Being freed from its power, growing in Christ's likeness, becoming more like Jesus. That is a gradual process. The, the power of sin is broken in our life at the moment of belief, but we begin to realize that and see it conquered in our life daily as we grow closer to Christ. And we call that sanctification. Big $5 theological word for you there that means the pursuit of holiness and becoming more like Jesus. And then the finality of salvation is the big theological word glorification. That's when we're ultimately made like Christ. Not that we become God like Christ, but we become sinless like Christ because we're not only saved from sin's penalty, we're not only saved from sin's power, we're saved from sin's presence and we won't even be tempted to sin. There will be no sin in us whatsoever. We'll be glorified to be made sinless, okay? And uh, never to get sick and to feel the effects of sin in any way. And so when the Bible talks about salvation, it's talking about a holistic thing. And it speaks about them in those tenses. And the truth of the scriptures is, if you have the first one, you will have the second one taking place in your life, and you're promised the third one. If you don't have the first one, you won't have the second one, you won't get the third one. If you think you have the first one, but there's no fr fruit, no evidence of the second one, you have no guarantee of the third one because it's possible that you didn't get the first one. See what I'm saying? It's holistic. And so we many times we tend to just focus on the decision, but it's a whole lot more than that. Salvation, yes, is a, there's a moment in time when we believe, but then there's the presence of Christ working in us to make us more like himself and helping us to grow and to mature, and that should be a reality as well. Now, we tend to think, if we're not careful, we tend to, when we get into that second mode of the present tense of growing to become more like Christ, to think that somehow that we pursue that differently than we pursued the first one. And it's no longer about grace, it's now about us. And it's no longer about gospel, it's now simply about works. And there's absolutely works there, but those works are from faith, as we'll see this morning. They're not, we're not, we're not, it's not about earning, it's about, it's about striving for holiness, pursuing holiness, but not in any way trying to earn anything before God. We've been justified, now we're pursuing it because we love God. It's that whole new heart, and we kind of talked about all that last week. 
And this week, what we're going to see is, well, we can fall into this pitfall of thinking that somehow, somehow it's no longer simply, it's no longer about grace and it's no longer about gospel. We've graduated from that. And that's what was happening in Galatia. Some people have pointed out that people think that they, that they don't have a problem like Gal- the Galatians had a problem if they understand that you're saved by grace through faith. But that just shows that they haven't fully understood the book. It, the problem is these people were coming in and they were saying, it's great that Paul got you started. It's great that he taught you about Jesus and how you need to have faith in Christ. Now you need to fully realize that. You need to go complete and perfect in your salvation. And the way you do that is you've got to keep the Old Testament law. You need to be circumcised and uh, observe these dietary restrictions. And basically you need to become Jewish so you can become more holy and more acceptable to God. And so see, it wasn't just a justification problem. It was also a sanctification problem. It was, it, was, it was a how do we pursue holiness problem as well. Is that still by grace through faith? And Paul's going to show us that it, that it is. And so this thought has been around for a couple of thousand years. And so in Galatians 3, we're going to see Paul get right to the heart of this, this, this false teaching and attack it uh, with the truth of the gospel. And in the first six verses that we'll see this morning, he will confront them in the light of their own personal experience, their testimony. And then in verses 7 through 14, he's going to move to the Old Testament and he's going to hold up Abraham and he's going to hold up the law as big illustrations of what they need to understand about grace and about faith. And so look with me, we're in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 14 this morning. We're just going to kind of slowly make our way through it. We're going to start with verse 1, Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Paul has a way with words. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let's hit the pause button there. Paul is back to that direct approach that we saw in chapter 1, right? We're right out of the gate in chapter 1. He has this very direct approach. He gets down to business because of the urgency. And now it's, oh, foolish Galatians. J.B. Phillips translates it this way. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Surely you can't be so idiotic. There might be some jest there, but not much. Paul is really, he's calling them out here for being foolish in how they're approaching spiritual growth, how they're approaching um, the next steps in Christ, how they're approaching this whole heresy that's happening. What's, why does he deem them so foolish? He says they've been bewitched. He actually uses a word that means being put under spell by a witch. Okay, he's like, it's like Harry Potter has got a spell on you. Or I guess that would be the bad guy or whatever, right? Voldemort or whoever, right? It's like you, there's a spell that's been put on you. His point is the only way this can, explain, this can be explained that you would do something so foolish is that somehow a witch has put a spell on you. Now, he doesn't mean it literally, I don't believe. He means it figuratively, but it does hint at something, and that is this. Anytime there's a departure from the gospel, I can promise you Satan celebrates that and helps sow that. And he uses a very graphic, vivid term to describe having heard and understood the gospel here. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Not before their eyes he was crucified. We know that happened at Golgotha, not in Galatia. He says, portrayed as crucified. 
the Greek word literally, it means a placard. Think about like a billboard. He said, he's basically saying, it's like the death of Christ and all that it means and entails when he says it is finished and that Jesus' death for sinners. It's like it happened on a billboard in front of your mind's eye. It's like you saw the passion of the Christ on the IMAX screen right in your mind's eye and completely understood everything that it was about. He, was, he says, that's how clearly you understood the gospel. It's like Jesus was crucified in front of you and you knew exactly what was happening, that he was dying for your sin. He's saying it was vivid, vividly portrayed to you. And that's what it's like, by the way. When you, come to, when you understand the gospel and it clicks for you, it's very real, right? It's no longer about something that happened two years ago. It's personal. It's, it's my sin that was on the cross. Jesus dying for my sin on the cross. It's very clear when we get it. And he's saying, you got it. I, I believe you got it. And the fruit was there, we're going to see, that you, that, you, that you understood this. His point is this. You have no excuse for what I'm about to get on to you for and call you out for and, and kind of politely rebuke you for. Because you understand the gospel. You understand the cross. You understand when Jesus says it is finished, it was finished. And Christianity... At its core is all about Jesus and in particular his finished work on the cross and his resurrection. And Paul is saying, Galatia, you know this. As Paul would say to the Corinthians, his, his, his heart of his message is what? Christ crucified. I've known no other thing among you except Christ and him crucified. That was a summary of the gospel. You'll see that at times in the New Testament, that phrase Christ crucified. It means the summary of the gospel, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus' death for, for sinners. But there have always been since the very beginning of the church. And there will always be, until Christ returns, people who want to make the heart of Christianity something other than Christ crucified. And they usually do it by adding something to the gospel. So in Galatia, it was law gospel, right? It was a, they wanted a Jewish flavor of the gospel. A law gospel. Today you see a social gospel and you see a prosperity gospel. And anytime you see, you can attach some other word to the gospel, it's usually a bad thing because you're adding to the gospel. And as we walk through the rest of this passage, we're confronted with a question. He's going to ask them several questions that we're about to walk through. And the question is, what are we relying on to both justify us, but yes, to help us grow spiritually? What are we walking in? What are we relying on? And what do we expect the results to be? Because whatever we rely on is going to bring results. And that's how we're going to break the message up this morning. The question of reliance and the reality of results. And we have to ask us ourselves, what am I trusting for spiritual growth, for justification? And we're confronted with the unavoidable reality that there will be results. And if we want the desired results, we need to be relying on the right thing. So look at verse 2. Verses 2 through 6. Let me ask you only this, Paul says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So let's pause there and let's talk about the question of reliance. Faith in Christ, faith in works. Relying on the Holy Spirit's power, relying on my flesh. Paul's using their personal experience, their personal testimony to prove to them that the false teachers are in fact false. As he does this, we see he asks them five questions. You see them there? One of them is actually, you know, 
Are you so foolish, right? And so he goes back to the foolish thing. But there's five questions there. And the overall theme seems to be, what are you relying on? Are you relying on the same thing you relied on? Verse 2, he says, we receive the Spirit when we become Christians. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by hearing with faith? So they knew when they became believers, the Spirit of God came rushing in, right? The Spirit of God indwelled them. And he said, did that happen because you did some works of the law and you went and you got circumcised and you started? No, it happened before you started trying to revert to that. It happened by hearing with faith. You heard the gospel and you believe. He says, that's what happened. Verse 3, the heart of the matter. Since they know the answer to the first question, having begun the Christian life by the Holy Spirit, moving on their heart, then coming to indwell them, are they now pursuing spiritual growth by the flesh or by human effort, by works of the law, by what they do in their own power? Verse 4 is a hard verse to translate. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain? So he could be talking about persecution. That word suffer could actually be talking about experience, though, and he could be talking about experiencing things of the Spirit. And the ESV that we read from translates it suffer. Other translations might translate it differently. But either way, the point is pretty clear. Has all this been in vain? Your Christian experience, whether that includes suffering or whether that includes the powerful movement of the Holy Spirit, did you experience it in, in vain? In verse 5, The Holy Spirit, he points out, is actively at work in their midst that day. He who supplies the Spirit to you works miracles among you. In other words, it's still happening. It's present tense. Does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Is that when you really see the Holy Spirit moving? During the circumcisions? When you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're reverting back to old dietary laws? and Is it in your power that you're seeing this happen? No, it, it, the whole thing tells us it's outside of ourselves. It's God moving on us, not us coercing God to move. And Paul's making a point. You didn't come to faith by relying on works of the law or human effort or good works. And you can't grow in your faith by relying on them either. You've got to continue to rely on Jesus and his gospel and not move away from it. See, everyone wants to be perfected. You see that word there? You're now being perfected or you're about now being completed. Everybody wants to realize their full potential. That's what that word ultimately means. And in Christianity, being perfected means being, becoming like Christ, walking in freedom from our sin, being all God has designed us and saved us to be. And any believer wants that because the Holy Spirit's in you. The same Holy Spirit that cries, Abba, Father, I'm telling you, he cries out for holiness. any believer wants to to become more Christ-like in their attitudes and in their behaviors and we stumble and we bumble along I saw an image the other day uh, on social media somebody put of of what spiritual growth looks like and it was a dude trying to get up an escalator and he falls down and the escalator just carries him up and that's kind of what it's like right you're stumbling and bumbling along but ultimately grace carries you You're a more spiritually mature person today than you were five years ago or ten years ago or five months ago or five days ago because of grace. Not because you're wonderful at it. We're not wonderful at it. We know we're not wonderful at it. And the false teachers were saying, now Paul got you started, but if you really want to obtain the fullness and the completion of your salvation, blah, 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 become Jewish, do these things. And Paul saw it for what it was. It was simply a way to make Christianity less about Jesus and more about us. Less about his finished work and more about our unfinished work. It was a way to move away from Jesus and towards self. And after we come to faith in Christ, we by all means pursue obedience. That is a fruit of your salvation. 
You want to obey Jesus because He's your Lord. And so you, you just want to. God changes your hearts. But as we said last week, we're empowered by Christ to do that. We do that from a grateful heart. We do that because we've been changed by grace, not because we're trying to earn something before God or keep our salvation. We simply want to live for our King because our lives have been recalibrated and He is now at the center of them. And as we look at these questions, we have to ask ourselves, am I relying on Jesus or on me? Am I relying on the gospel or am I relying on me? See, all through the passage, it's works of the law or hearing with faith. One shows I rely on Christ. The other points to my, just simply on my own efforts and what I can do. Another way to question, another question we might ask ourselves is, do you think that the one who died to save you from the penalty of your sin has the power to deliver you from the power of your sin? Do you think that what happened on the cross that was so powerful enough that hell itself cannot get its hands on you, that it can't help you conquer your lust problem, your greed problem, your pride problem, our truth-telling problem? Do we think that the gospel we're trusting to save us from hell can save us from all those things? The gospel saves holistically. Was, being, will be. Holistically. And if we're freed from sin's penalty and the power of sin is broken in our, in our lives, then we have the freedom to pursue spiritual growth by grace through faith. So I have to ask another question. Not only am I relying on Christ to myself, but when I read these questions, it brings up this one for me. Am I relying on the Holy Spirit's power or my own? He asked, if we begin by the Spirit, but now it's by the flesh, right? We've, we've traded the Spirit's power for, my, for our power. Do you think that our weak flesh that's incapable of keeping God's rules perfectly and has, that it somehow has the power to defeat sin in our life? We'd say, well, no, it doesn't, but we try to do it on our own many times. The Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters of creation, is He more powerful to defeat sin in your life or are you? Right? I couldn't tie my shoes till like I started school. But I think I can slay sin in my life. I need the Holy Spirit, right? I can barely remember to use a turn signal. Okay? I mean, we're, we're not all that. A lot is at stake. Listen, a lot is at stake when we try to move on from the gospel. We try to move on from grace, even if, it's, even if we don't mean to. A lot's at stake when we try to move from Jesus and more centered on us. And we make ourselves the sole remedy for defeating sin in our lives. We are, we're leaving behind what got us here. The other day I saw a, um, a video of Tom Brady. Now the Super Bowl's tonight. Don't really care who you're rooting for, right? But, um, but Tom Brady, he's going to be like in his, what, like his umpteenth Super Bowl. I think it's eight, right? His eighth Super Bowl and trying to win his sixth Super Bowl, which is pretty impressive. Not him by himself, obviously, but the Patriots and all that kind of stuff. And so they had this little video on Tom Brady, and um, they were talking to him, uh, and he was, he was talking about um, what he's good at and best at and all this kind of stuff. And he says, I'm, I was never going to be the, mo the fastest quarterback. I'm not fast. And it shows him practicing his running and all that kind of stuff. And, and he's not, by the way. He's not fast. And, and, and he knew he didn't have this athletic ability of like 
a Cam Newton for the football fans or somebody who can run, who is fast, who is physical. He's like, that was never going to be my thing. But he said, I was always good at leadership and the mental aspect of the game. So he watches endless hours of game film. He's even watching film on Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. before the game that day. He's always watching film. He just devours it, right? So he's got all this stuff just stored away and he works on his leadership ability and he focuses on delivering passes on time in the right spot. He don't focus on being more physical. He doesn't really focus on being fat. He works on those things, but that's not what he's relying on to be a great quarterback or to win Super Bowls. And out of that, he's won like three MVPs and all these Super Bowls. Imagine tonight, as they walk the field for the Super Bowl, he goes over to his coach and he says, Coach, tonight, I'm going to rely on my speed, my sheer arm strength, and just my pure athletic ability to lead. And he was to go out there and to play the game like he was a different player. And he's starting to run around the end and try to take off running with the football, right? And he's trying to call option plays to run. He's just stepping back and trying to heave the ball 80 yards. You'd say, well, first of all, the Eagles would win the Super Bowl. So that makes some people very happy. And secondly, <laughs> secondly, you'd say he's crazy because that ain't what got him there. That ain't what got him there. And Christian, what I'm saying is what gets us there matters. And what got us here is by grace through faith. And we don't move on from that. What got us here is the gospel. The reason, if you're a believer this day, today, if the reason you're in a room sitting to me up here yell and holler for 45 minutes is because you love Jesus. There's no other reason. If, you, if, if that's the reason you commit yourself to coming, you love Jesus and he's been, he saved you by grace through faith. And we got to stay in that lane. We got to stay in that lane. If we want to grow spiritually and see sin defeated in our life and experience freedom from our hangups and our struggles, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We got to stay with what got us here. We're saved by Jesus, kept by Jesus, and we grow spiritually and mature by grace through faith in Jesus, by his gospel. Salvation is by grace through faith for forgiveness and for freedom, for forgiveness and for maturity. And when we get our eyes off Jesus and we start putting it on us, and it's just about what we can do, and it's about, well, it, what we become is we become legalists. And we start making a list. And we go, if I make these, if I do these things, that means I'm godly. And if I don't do these things, that must mean I'm not godly. And, and we think that sounds spiritual because sometimes your list will mean that you don't do some things that other Christians do. And they're not things that are like in the Bible. It's just stuff on your list, whatever that may be. It's usually cultural. And here's the thing. The list we create is always easier. It's never about being perfect. It's just the things that we think makes us seem more godly. And we want, we want a list. We, we, it's just something about our human nature. Give me a thing to check off so I know that at the end of the day, I'm godly. Right? We want that list. And the Bible looks at you and says, pursue Jesus with all your heart and obey his word. God doesn't just give us a list and say, listen, I promise you, if you read your Bible every day, I promise you, you won't sin. Like, that's not in the Bible, right? We read our Bible we read it every day and we're still going to sin. But at the same time, that is a means of grace that God uses to encourage us and build us up in our faith. But many times we add all these things, all these things. And it's, it's about, you know, checking off the list. I was in a small group and I came to church and I read my Bible and I tithed. I stopped these bad habits. I don't do this and I don't do that. I don't go to these places and I don't hang around with these people. That, we create this little image and in our mind that means godly. And somebody comes along and they're pursuing Jesus and they love the word and, and they're growing in the word. But maybe they don't fit all of our list and we think, well, they must not be godly and we become legalists. 
Because we've just created a list. And that's a lot easier than looking at a person and saying, am I more like Jesus yesterday, today than I was yesterday? That's a whole lot harder. Because then we get into attitudes and motives and all these matters of the heart that God's after. And what ultimately ends up happening is, is you'll start to look at other things. If you get your eyes off of Jesus and old stuff, you'll start to look to other things besides Jesus to both mature you and justify you. That's how it works when we move away from the gospel. So let's use an example. Let's say that you struggle with the idol of the approval of others. That means what fuels you and makes you feel good about yourself and makes you feel that, man, that God and the whole world is smiling upon you is when other people accept you and they approve of you and they give you that bad boys, right? And so when you're struggling with that, Many times you'll look to it for justification to make you feel right with God. For say, and you wouldn't put it in those terms. What you mean is you just feel more like you, right, when that's going on. You feel more at peace with yourself. You feel like everything's right in the world when you've got the approval of others. They approve of me is really what you're thinking. The thinking is this, they approve of me, so God must. That's the, that's the root thought. And so you throw yourself into work or whatever helps you gain the approval of others. For many adults, it's, it's work and doing well there. And you can also begin to look for it, for maturity and sanctification. And here's how you do that. Well, if I get involved in all these things at church, people, people, people like to see that, right? People say, man, you're, you're such a good servant. You're on this and you're on that and you're down there and you're, you're doing this and you're doing that. You're man, you're here every time the door's open. And what you're really doing is you're saying, I'm serving Jesus. But if we're not careful, what we're really doing is we're hunting for the approval of others. Listen, you can use church to feed your idol. In a lot of churches, as much false worship happens every Sunday as true worship. And we can begin, we become a slave to it. And we're not walking in freedom when that happens. So we have to attack our idols with the gospel. I don't need the approval of others. Christ has secured for me the approval of God. <laughs> the approval of God. God smiles on me in Christ Jesus. Why do I need the approval of others? God approves of me because of the gospel and what Christ has done. And so I'm free from the need to always have somebody else approve of me. See, that's gospel, and that's growth, and that's maturity. That's getting us somewhere. But it's all applying the gospel in our spiritual journey. So, what am I relying on? What am I relying on? Secondly, we've got to think about the reality of our results. Look at verse 6 again. I'm going to reread verse 6, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 14. Paul writes, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now I want you to notice something. Look down there. 
Look down there at verse um, 14. That in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Okay? So, when we get over here with the results, we're going to see a couple of options. We're going to see one way. We'll see two types of people. You see one person who's pursuing being right with God by faith. And one pursues it by works of the law. Just simply human effort. Pull myself up by the bootstraps. Do the best I can. Keep all the rules. And one way is, ends with the result of blessed. The other is cursed. That's pretty stark realities. And, and he writes this in light of the Old Testament where God says what? In, in the law, and he says to Moses, I set before you today what? Blessing and cursing. Right? Life and death. Choose life. Right? And so here in the New Testament, Apostle Paul is helping us shine light on the Old Testament. He's saying, now listen, the blessed way is the way of faith. The law was never meant to justify you. And the cursed way is the way of trying to use the law in a civific way, in a way that it justifies and saves you. And in Abraham, he's showing us a picture of the man of faith, someone to emulate. Right? Now, probably what's happening here is he's using examples from the false teachers. They probably had certain scriptures, their proof texts is what we call that, that they would pull out. And he quotes from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy a couple of times. He talks about Abraham because they probably used Abraham and they probably used Deuteronomy and he's combating their teaching. Because many of them thought, well, Abraham was justified because of the, what he did, right? It was, it was the acts of faith. It was, it was what he did, not just simply believing. And Paul's helping us interpret. No, he quotes from Genesis and he says what? He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What made him righteous? He was made righteous through faith, through believing God, believing God's promise. He was looking to a promise just as we look to a promise now. And Abraham shows us the way of faith that results in blessing. Verse 6, it was counted to him what? When he believed God. Verse 7, Paul is saying it's not by biology that you're a son of Abraham. It says, those of faith who are sons of Abraham. It's not by embracing the Old Testament rituals that you're made part of the people of God. That's what it means to be a son of Abraham. It's by faith. In fact, a Gentile who believes on Jesus is more so, a million times more so, a son of Abraham than a Jew that rejects Jesus. Because the way you become a son of Abraham is not biology. It's by faith. It's by faith. That's how you get grafted into the people of God and born into the people of God, adopted into God's family. Verses 8 and 9 He's saying God knew he would justify the Gentiles by faith in Christ, right? The scriptures knew this beforehand. God speaking through his scriptures. Paul is saying God was thinking about this wonderful truth when he promised Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. He's saying that the way we become a part of that blessing, the way we take hold of it is by faith, just as Abraham did. In verse 11, he goes on to say it is evident. No one is justified by works of the law. And he's going to give us proof of that. The just shall live by faith. Not only come to God by faith, but live by faith, right? He says the just shall live by faith. We Spiritual life, but yes, in our spiritual journey, we live by faith. All of the Christian life is to be by faith. And notice verse 14 that we just talked about. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes to the Gentiles, and through faith in Christ, we are a part of the people of God. So he connects the blessing that was promised to Abraham to faith in Christ. And he's saying we're in right relationship with God. He smiles on us. We know that all is well between us and Him. And we are becoming the people God intends for us to be when we're in faith in Christ. That's the blessed state. That's what it means to be blessed, right? It's not about more money. 
It's not about everything being perfect in your life in the here and now. It means God smiles on you. That you have God's favor. And the way we have that is through faith in Christ. But the law shows us that trying to be justified by it is a way of cursing, he says. And that's the other way. Look at verse 10. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. You choose to rely on works instead of Christ and you get a curse instead of a blessing. That's a bad trade. Relying on works of the law is still a life of faith. It's just faith in the wrong thing. You're still relying on something, right? That's a picture of faith. You're relying on the works of the law. You're throwing the weight of your faith onto yourself and what you can do to keep whatever. In this case, it was the Old Testament Mosaic uh, rituals. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. When he, says, he talks about the curse of the law. He talks about all those who, who the, the, can't keep it, right? You've got to live by it, he says. See, the curse of the law is that if you can't keep it all, that you're cursed. If you can't live by it, every jot and tittle. In other words, if you're going to live by the law, you've got to be perfect, not just try. You've got to execute. You've got to do it all. And if anyone wants to earn their way to heaven, the only way, sinlessness, perfection. And everybody in the room's already dropped the ball, okay? So that's not an option, we, we're not sinless. We're not perfect. We all know that. I've never heard anybody try to argue that. We haven't kept all the Ten Commandments, much less any of the other stuff. And he's saying the law cannot justify. In fact, he says in verse 12, he quotes from the Old Testament again, and it seems to be saying this, if you are going to choose the path to be right with God, right? You, that path, the path of the law, then you must live by it perfectly. And only one person's been able to keep the law perfectly. And that was Jesus. And the point of the gospel is he did it in your place. He didn't just die in your place. He lived in your place. He fulfilled it perfectly for us. And none of us, no Jew, no Gentile has ever been able to live by the law perfectly. So we need a savior. We need someone to rescue us from the curse. Now what's the curse? This curse, curse is everyone who doesn't keep the law, right? It's a picture of condemnation. It's a picture of being outside of God's smile. Under God's judgment. And in verse 13, one of the greatest verses in Galatians and in all the Bible, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? By becoming a curse for us. And man, sometimes that goes right over our head because I'm betting there's probably, there's probably not a Jewish person in the room. But I'm telling you, man, for the Jews that were reading this, that it didn't go over their head. Because the Old Testament language was rich with this and this whole idea of being cursed. He says Christ became a curse for us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Paul uses the language of the slave market. When he says redeemed, he's saying that we've been bought. We are no longer slaves to the law. No longer owned by the curse of the law. Condemnation has no claim on the believer. We are fully smiled upon and received by God through faith in Christ. The blessing of Abraham is ours through faith in Christ. And the law in Deuteronomy says that anyone hung on a tree is cursed. Now let me explain that. In Old Testament times, what they would do many times with a really bad criminal is they would hang him up on a tree for everybody to look at for after they were dead as a way of, however they, had, however they had punished them, they would hang him up for everybody to look at and bring shame to them. This is obviously a horrible person that God has condemned that they are under the curse, that God is, that they are not a blessed person. This is a condemned person, and we, we visually show that by hanging them in a shameful way for everybody to look at them in their dead body. That was the picture. 
And he's saying, Jesus was hung on a tree. Naked. And murdered. But he freely gave up his life. And crucified. In vivid act. To the point that it was so vivid. And the way he died was so graphic. Galatians, you weren't even there, but it's like it happened before your very eyes. Becoming a curse for you. Bearing our sin. Bearing our shame. Bearing our curse. Bearing God's wrath. Why? So you can have God's smile. Do you know what it costs God, Christian, to be able to smile on you? And look at you with favor. And say, well done, good and faithful servant. We think that starts with how we live. It starts with what Christ purchased. He took your curse. Say, my curse? Yes, because you hadn't kept the law. Like I said, we can barely tie our shoes, much less keep the law. We, most, some, many of us, we won't get out the building today without sinning. I don't doubt that there's sin that has happened in the room this morning during worship. Judgmentalism, whatever it may be. Condemning others with our thoughts. Who knows? The point is simply this. We deserve to be cursed by God. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment. We don't deserve a smile. We don't even deserve a handshake. We deserve hell and judgment. And Paul is saying... Believers, why in the world? Don't move away from this. You're blessed by God. You don't need to more fully earn His favor. You don't need to more fully earn His smile. It has been purchased for you by Jesus who became the curse for you so that you might receive the blessing that was only His to give. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says it this way, For our sake, He made Jesus, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, the sinless Son of God, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what's happening on the cross. This is why so many Jews rejected Jesus and wouldn't believe in Him. Because He was hung on a cross, they looked at Him and said, Our law says He's cursed. How can He be the Savior of the world and be cursed by God? I think this is maybe why Paul was so... That's why he makes such a big deal out of it in his letters. It might have been what had him hung up. How can he be the Savior? How can he be the Messiah and be cursed by God? Look, he was hung on a tree for all to see that he's guilty and sinful. And Paul goes, we've missed it. It was for us. That was our curse. And the, only, the reason it was him hanging there was not because, he had, not because he was sinful, but because he wasn't. He was the only one that could hang there and take that curse for us. We get his righteousness because he took our sin. And we get the blessing because he took our curse. And he goes on to say, we receive the promised spirit by faith. And the choice is clear. We can choose works righteousness and trying to be justified by our own moral efforts, or we can choose to trust Christ. One, we can choose to walk in our power, or we can have the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We can walk by, we can walk by faith in self or faith in Christ. One way leads to cursing, one way leads to blessing. And only in the way of blessing is there the Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey, to grow, and to experience power over sin in our lives. Because we can never do it alone on our own. Think about it. We talked about this the first week. If trying to be justified by keeping the law or by human effort and by good works is the way that leads, if it leads to a curse because we can't do it perfectly. If as a believer, you begin to try and conquer sin's power in your life to grow spiritually and to mature spiritually, 
apart from grace, apart from Jesus, apart from the gospel, and on to legalistic means in your power, is it any wonder you feel condemned, defeated, and shameful all the time? You're pursuing holiness by accursed means. You're reverting to something that does not work. And it's not what got you here. And the results matter, right? At the end of the day, isn't that the bottom line? Blessed or cursed? That's the choice before us. The results, the destination, the results matter, right? If you came to me and you said, hey, Josh, give me some directions to the Amway Center this morning. I got to get down there. And I gave you two sets of directions. You're like, so both of these, either way gets me to the Amway Center. I said, no, just one, just one. <laughs> the other way takes you somewhere totally different. You're like, I just want the one that gets me to the, right? The results matter in the journey. Results matter. And I'm telling you, results matter. You don't want to pursue being right with God by cursed means. The law was never meant as a path to eternal life, nor is it our fuel for spiritual maturity. There is much good about the law and God's rules. We'll get into that next week, but God has given us plenty of them. He tends for us to keep them, but it's from faith and in his power and strength. We're saved by grace through faith. We're kept by grace through faith. We pursue Christ in his likeness by grace through faith. And the key to knowing and growing in God is always hearing with faith. Romans 10, 17, the Apostle Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's how you came to Christ, right? You heard the gospel so you could believe it. You have to hear it so that you can believe it. And if you're going to live the Christian life by faith, you have to hear so you can believe. And that's where the word comes back in, is reading the word. And not only reading the word, reading it with a gospel lens. There's a, it's almost like a whole movement today to go to our Bibles and read to it to see what it says about me. And like it's all about us and my destiny, right? You know what my destiny is? To be made like Jesus. And any hogwash we pull out of the, we call it Bible, and say that, it, that, that God's ultimate plan for us is anything other than to make us like Christ is not biblical. There's no, pro, there's no promise for that. God has not promised to fulfill your dreams. But he will fulfill his dream for you. And that is to be made like Jesus. Anything else is an altered version of prosperity gospel. This week in sermon prep, I came across an old sermon from John Popper. I want to throw it on the screen. Not the sermon, but this little outline. Because I found it helpful, and I thought you might find it helpful. He says this is how he consciously chooses to walk by faith every day. And he's got an ac acronym that obviously spells nothing. Aptat, I don't know. <laughs> but... I guess, well, whatever works. But it's good. I want to walk you through it real quick. A, admit that you can do nothing without God. He says, I begin every day by admitting that I can't do anything without God. P, pray for help. Pray for the Holy Spirit's help. Pray for the power of Christ in you. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to help you, right, to walk with God. And then T, trust a specific promise from God's Word. I might add, also look for ways to deconstruct any idols in your heart by faith with gospel truth. And he's saying, trusting as you obey that it is Christ in you that is empowering you to do so because he's promised to do so. Trusting that the Holy Spirit will empower you to obey. A, act and obey God. But this isn't an earning way. It's trusting that God is empowering me in Christ and I'm not looking for it to make me right with God. I'm looking for it because I love God. And then T, thank God for the victory. Thank God for enabling you to walk in obedience. Thank him for providing you with the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, that's what he does every day. This was some sermon from like 1983 that I came across. 
We'll leave that screen up there for a second. If you want to, nobody's going to judge you if you take a picture up, if you want it, if you don't have a pen. The point is this. Whether we use an outline or not, whether we have a fancy acronym to help us remember or not, the point is this. Spiritually in our hearts, as we seek to walk by faith and not by works of the law, this is basically what's happening. Reliance on God's power in the gospel and on Christ with the Spirit's help for us to obey. And it always starts with realizing over and over again, I can't do it alone. I don't have the power to do it. I need Christ to help me, to empower me. So here's the question this morning. What are you relying on, first of all, for salvation? If you're here this morning, have you ever trusted the one that became a curse for you so that you could be made right with God who died in your place and rose again? Are you relying on Christ and Christ alone? Not, not just some experience, not, not, not some prayer you prayed that, you know, but Jesus. Not baptism, not church membership, not going through some motions. Jesus, are you relying? Is your faith in Jesus this morning, number one? Number two, as a Christian, have you demonstrated that by baptism? We've got a baptism Sunday coming up at the end of the month, the last Sunday of the month. You can indicate and let us know on a card on the card this morning. We have, you're a connection card. We'd love to celebrate that with you. If you've never been baptized, to celebrate what Christ has done in your life. That's number two. And number three, as a believer, are you relying on Christ and his gospel in your pursuit of holiness? Are you pursuing holiness? And are you doing it through gospel means? By grace through faith. Let's pray.